0: Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exist to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, If you have any connection to the world, you probably get alerts on your phone, your tablet, your computer. Uh, Some of you who are resisting that, perhaps you watch the the evening news or however you're connected. Uh, If you've watched recently, you know that there's more evidence than ever before that we are as disunified as a nation as we've ever been. We have history of being disunified. There have been wars fought over it. Uh, But I'd say right now we have some major problems. What's interesting is when this escalates or the news just chooses to highlight it, sometimes we wonder what's the president think about this? Some of us wonder what's the church think about this? And so I just wanted to say something that pertains to where we're gonna go, but it needs to be said. We do not need some group to do something very stupid for you to know something about this church. Anyone and everyone is welcome. And you need to know that I am not going to stand up here every time someone does something stupid and tell you, hey, here's our stance on it. You just need to know, feel free to pass this on to whoever you'd like. Anyone and everyone has value, has always had value, is not greater than one or the other. God made every single one of us. And no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, doesn't matter. You have value. And what other people say that might be contrary to that, they're the ones that are wrong. Everyone has value. And I just wanted you to know that. And I think that we live in a nation that, yeah, doesn't fully get that, that everyone has value. And you can, you can go, okay, that's good. No, thanks. No, that's... And, and you and I can get upset with how so-and-so handles bad events, right? But can we go to the more mature conversation and make sure that if you believe anyone and everyone matters, that you and I are showing that? And so that's what we're going to do. We have planned, I would say God let it, that we were talking about a friendship series, and that's what we're in. So I think it applies more so than ever before. But we're going to talk about how to actually be good friends. And uh, you may not know all the people that you spend time with more so than others. Maybe you just work with them. Maybe you just pass them by, but maybe you are close to them. We're doing this series on friendship because I think friendship simply is powerful. I think you would agree. I don't think anybody would really argue with how powerful friendship is. We've talked about the God cares about friendship. I believe he created it, even put in us a desire and need to actually have community around us. But we're just not very good at it. (laughs) Proven by the news that we don't always do friendship well, but it's powerful. It's incredibly powerful. So we launched the series talking about what kind of friends do you absolutely need in your life? And, and so if you miss that, if you're like, I'm supposed to have certain friends, uh-huh. And so you need to go watch that. Then, then the last week, we haven't gotten to it yet, but the last week, we're going to talk about toxic friendships. I'm excited about that one. So if you have a toxic friend, bring him. Bring him with you. Nudge him throughout the whole sermon. And pretend like you had no idea that's what I was going to talk about. I'm just kidding. But no, we're going to talk about the toxic stuff in our lives. All of us. I don't even need to see your hands. You have someone in your life that could be just called toxic. Okay. But before we get to how others are supposed to live, let's talk about how you and I are supposed to be and how we're supposed to live. How we're supposed to be a good friend. Now, in our home, we have been learning all about friendship. Uh, in a good way, but I gotta tell you a story. Now, before I tell you the story, some of you are gonna wonder, like, did you get permission for that story? Okay, so, so yes, I did. I've got three kids, and when they're young, they don't care what stories I tell about. But now that I've got a teenager, just so you know, I've asked permission. <laughs> See, our oldest is soon to be 14, his name's Hayden, and he is a treasure of ours and he's about to go into the eighth grade, which makes me, just, it just sounds weird, his last year of middle school. And, and he's excited about school, by the way, like legitimately, now maybe it's just so he gets away from us, because he's with us a lot, but, but he's, he's ready for school, excited for school, and we're excited that he's excited because that's not been the norm. Hayden has not always been excited about school. And I mean this in some of uh, sad ways. You see, Hayden uh, has not always had a lot of victories when it comes to the friendship realm. Some of you might identify with that, where friendships just didn't go where you hoped they would go, and, and Hayden has struggled with that. In fact, it culminated in fifth and sixth grade, where just about every morning was a major battle to go to school. He didn't want to go to school. hated school, for the academic part, yes, But it was mostly about the friendship dynamic. He didn't have any. Didn't have many and struggled with it. And at sixth grade, it got pretty bad to where he was nearly begging us to not make him go to school. Now, if you can reflect back to your middle school years, some of you are like, please don't make me do that. And for some, middle school was tragic and traumatic. And some, it was great. If you have friend issues in middle school you know that's probably some of the worst moments of your entire life and Hayden was going through that so it came time uh, to switch his schools and so we put him into a new school going into the seventh grade And yes, we were praying diligently. It was, and I'm not joking, not exaggerating. We had friends and family praying, and he went to school, and we were like, how's it going, how's it going, how's it going? He comes home, like, hey, how was school? And just like a typical seventh grader, it was like, it was good. (laughs) What was the best part? Lunch. (laughs) What was the worst part? We have homework. I'm like, okay, okay, that sounds normal. About a week into his seventh grade year, he came home and asked us a question. The question through us, the question was this, can I play football? Now you need to know about Hayden, you you probably don't know this, uh, he doesn't really care for sports. He loves music, he is an incredible drummer, loves that and has always loved that, it's been a blast to watch him just be amazing, but sports not really his deal, which is fine, whatever, so when he came from school and he's like, can I play football? There was mixed reaction. Katie's like, no, <laughs> you're gonna get hurt. For me, I'm like, this could be fun. So I, I was like, Foot, football, as long as your mom's cool with it. Yeah. And and I, she was cool with it. And, We were kind of dumbfounded, like, didn't think he liked sports, but fine. I mean, play football. So he went out for the football team and and picked him up, dropped him off, picked him up from the first practice. How was it? He goes, it was awesome. And you got to know, all of our conversations for the previous years have been how he hated school. It was horrible, constant just this. What's going on? And I learned. He made some friends. That's simple. Just friendship. If wins and losses, well, they've become a bit more important to him as the year goes on. But, but at first, he could care less if they won or lost. If you asked him after a game of practice, how was it? He would talk about the different conversations he had. And I finally said, what's your favorite thing about football? He was like, it's like I got a bunch of brothers. It's like, hmm? That's how it works. See, we've learned in our own family the power of friendship. And so we've had to transition, now the conversation. It's not just about having friends. Because at stages of life, that's good and and bad. We've had the more mature conversation lately. I'll show it to you. To have good friends, you gotta be a good friend. Because frankly, and and Hayden has given me permission to tell you this, a part of his friendship issues were his fault. Sometimes socially, he didn't make the best of choices. And we would have those conversations like, yeah, if you want them to not be an annoyed, don't do that. If you don't want the lunch teacher to make you be quiet, don't, don't yell. I mean, just like to, to have good friends, you got to be a good friend. <laughs> to have good teammates, be a good teammate. And I know all of us are like, yep, yep, I, I, I get this. I know this. But I got to tell you, we aren't always good at this. If you can, if you like me at all, get caught in a rut sometimes where you get demanding of all of your friends and the people around you, where your boss better be the perfect boss or the best boss, and, and your friends better always know what you're feeling, thinking, and what you need. And especially when you get married, oh man, they better become a mind reader quick and, and perfectly. It's interesting how you and I get a bit demanding of others while forgetting our own role, to where to make sure the relationships around us thrive, we need to be the friend. We need to be as good of a friend as we possibly can, and that's where I want to go, because you and I impact each other all the time, whether you want to believe that or not. Now, I Regularly admit to you that I am a, a nerd, especially in what people are doing with their lives. I like to listen and watch TED Talks. Now, the TED Talks are often about different people making profound decisions or inventions or, or just observations. And w- one guy was talking about the, the low card principle, it gets into nuts and bolts crime. He's making an observation that that here's how if you've ever watched the shows or the movies you know exactly what i'm talking about uh, a person commits a crime and they always leave a trace they always leave like something behind and and the brilliant sherlock holmes comes in and finds what none of us knew was there and it's amazing in fact the definition of this principle is this every contact leaves a trace And the the guy giving the TED Talk was like, this is true, and we know this, and this is in evidence, and you got people come in, try to find the evidence, find the person who did whatever they shouldn't have done, and and this is how this is applied. Well, the guy doing the TED Talk turned it, and I, I I would follow this. He said, relationships are probably identical. That when you and I have a conversation, when anyone has a conversation, that when you're done with the conversation and you part ways, you left a trace. You left a mark. Based on what you talked about and how you talked about it, you, you left some sort of a trace on what kind of a person you are, on, on how you treat people. I mean, you, you and I have had these, maybe you've had a person who's horrible at this, and, and maybe a boss, another coworker at school, maybe these have happened, but I would say we've seen this where a person impacts you. They've left some sort of an impression on you is maybe another way to say it. So if you're mature enough to have a good conversation, to not just make posts on social media about how people are not doing or doing what they should, if you and I were to say, what about me? Am I being the friend I should be? Let me give you a question to ask of yourself. What trace have you been leaving as a friend? Like when you hang out with your friend or friends and then you leave, by the way, don't overstay, you're welcome. But you should leave and there's these moments and you're not together. What trace did you leave? What memory did you leave on their brains? What, what impression did you leave? And I would say most adults, frankly, adults, teenagers, we don't ask ourselves that question. We know we remember what they did. Sometimes you leave a, a time with a friend, like that was a blast, that was awesome, that was great, or I, I just love that conversation. But when it doesn't go well, what do you do? Oh, what trace have you been leaving? Not what them. What, what trace have you been leaving? So here's what I want to do. I want to zoom in on a story. It's a true story. I want to zoom in on a friendship. And I want you and I to do our own work on this friendship. And perhaps I think we, we learn through this is how to be a good friend. I know many of us have our standards and perhaps our definitions of friendship, but I want you and I leaning into, what does it mean to be a friend? So here's the story, we're gonna zoom in, there's characters, three characters, just in case you're not familiar with the Bible, I'm gonna show you these characters. There's David, Jonathan, and Saul. Now, if you have ever know the Bible, or ever read it from beginning to end, or had maybe a Sunday school, if you remember Sunday school, those kinds of lessons you may have learned about some of these people. David is the guy, if you're not familiar, who killed the giant with the slingshot. Um, Saul, on the other hand, is, is known as a king. Some know him as a crazy king. Some just know him as, as somebody in the Bible. You're not sure exactly what he does. <laughs> so there's King Saul. He's in charge. David grows up and essentially becomes a, a warrior, a well-known warrior. Now, what's interesting about David is he was anointed when he was younger to be the next king. Now, some of us are like, that sounds cool. Problem is, Jonathan. Jonathan is the son of Saul. And if you know anything about royalty, you know that typically it's handed off to family. It doesn't leave the family. And so you got King Saul, his son Jonathan, and David. Now, here's the dynamic. David and Jonathan become best of friends like best of friends give us an incredible example of how to be a friend and that's when I want to zoom in on their friendship where you and I can learn yeah we've got toxic people in our lives yeah we've, we've got just stuff going on but how do I make sure I've been a good friend well David and Jonathan will help us learn this here's the first one just if you take notes be selfless that's the first thing that we're going to learn with them. now you're like really Like, again, you thought all week long on a sermon, and you came up with be selfless. I mean, most of us are like, of course, David, be selfless. Good friends are selfless. If selfless is so simple, why don't we all always do it? It's because selfless is a value, not always a behavior. And David and Jonathan give us evidence of the power, the significance of selflessness in a friendship. If you want to know how good you are, just be thinking about how often do you surrender what you want for the sake of a friend. Let me show you in the story of David and Jonathan. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as much as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact, sealed it like made a covenant, if you read it. Uh, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic sword, bow, and belt. Now, if you're wondering, was David cold and didn't have a sword? What was going on? No, there is tons of symbolism in this. That's what we got to talk about. So Jonathan is like, hey, we're making a pact. We're BFFs forever, right? This is, this is like epic friendship. And to seal it, Jonathan gives him his jacket, and basically is his armor. Let me help you understand the power of this. The jacket specifically would have had tassels on it. If you like tassels, just think curtains in the old days, right? There's tassels. But if you go way, way back, tassels were on pretty much everybody's jacket. The tassel indicated what family you were a part of, how well you were doing with life. So if you're like, okay, I'm from such and such family, this is what we do for a living, or we're well off, or we're not well off, your tassel would tell everybody all that information for you. If you've read your Bible and know the story of Jesus, where a woman was sick, went up and touched the edge of his garment and was healed immediately, what she did is she touched the tassel on the edge of his robe, because the tassel would have signified who Jesus is, and her faith told her he could heal her. The tassel, big deal. If you're a king or in a royal family, you better believe that your tassel communicated that to everybody, that you were big dog, wealthy, had anything, all privileges, everything you would ever want, you had it. So Jonathan says, all right, best friend, here's my jacket. In other words, here's my tassels. We are equal. You have the privileges and the status that I have. We are on the same level. Powerful. And then he not only gives them that, but you notice the things that protect himself, the sword, there were these armor, and and you had better know that a sword would have been significant if a prince was holding onto it. It would have not been just some random sword or some weak sword. It would have been an awesome sword that signified royalty, and he gives that. But that wasn't just it. He was saying, hey, your enemies are now my enemies. That's selfless. See, he was doing all of this symbolism to say, there is nothing in between us that we are not willing to share with each other. And I want you to catch that in this relationship. How selfless are you in your conversations? Well, let's go even further. How selfless are you with your expectations? David and Jonathan are setting us up, helping us understand every good friend is selfless. You know that, but hopefully that's a bit more meaningful to you. Now, things escalate. Now, remember I told you there's three main characters, David, Jonathan, and Saul. The problem with this is that Saul goes, oh, a bit jealous. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand to ask you, do you have a jealous friend in your life? Because then it gets awkward, especially if you sit next to him. But we all could admit that jealousy is nasty, right? Jealousy gets crazy. Jealousy is destructive. And King Saul gets jealous, not of Jonathan, but of David, who would become the next king. And so King Saul decides, I'm going to kill him. You understand how problematic that is for Jonathan. He's related to the king, his dad. But he's best friends with David. David. So here's what I would tell you is the second thing. If you want to be a good friend, be selfless, but also be faithful. Be faithful. How faithful are you as a friend? And I am going to, uh, I'm going to go very direct at this, okay? So let me show you the scripture where we learn all about this faithfulness. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? but I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. He's like, hey, your dad, he's going to kill me. And I know it. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. David's saying, I have a major problem. Your dad is going to kill me. So what's Jonathan's response? It's in the Bible, and it's pretty profound. Tell me what I can do to help you. I'm hoping that you have not missed how significant and awkward and tense the situation that Jonathan finds himself in. He is finding himself in a place where he is choosing, yeah, choosing, between dad or best friend. Now, Jonathan is a smart guy. He knows that his dad is being toxic, is being unhealthy. And he's offering faithfulness to his friend. In fact, David specifically asks for it. I'll show it to you. Show me this loyalty. <sighs> loyalty. Show me this loyalty as my sworn friend for we made a solemn pact before the Lord or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father but please don't betray me to him. Faithfulness, loyalty and Jonathan offers back to him a very uh, direct response. Never. Never. You know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. Loyalty. I mentioned it the first sermon of this series, but now I want to harp on it a bit. Loyalty. A good friendship has faithfulness. Faithfulness is loyalty. So let me give you the, the, the dictionary definition, and then we'll go from there. Loyalty is faithfulness to a commitment. It's faithfulness to a commitment. Now, here's the problem. Some of us have toxic friendships where that friend just takes from you. Or maybe some of us have relationships in our family where you've got a family member who's addicted to something and you think being loyal to them is feeding their addiction. It's not. Loyalty is faithfulness to your commitment. Your commitment is to love that person, take care of that person, not to hurt that person not to help that person hurt themselves. Very different. And I would say we live in a current culture where we don't understand loyalty and we definitely don't live it out. The amount of friendships that end because of a lack of loyalty is impossible to count. So if you're like me, sometimes I need things whittled down so distinctly that it's speaking my language. So I thought this might help. Loyalty, (laughs) makes your preferences take a back seat. If you've ever had a friend do something they shouldn't have done, say something they shouldn't have said, or just not shown up, your preferences are going to tell you, you are now dead to me. (laughs) This is over. We do it all the time to other places, but we do it to people too. Loyalty makes your preferences take a back seat. See, the difference is preferences or convictions. We talk about this as a church. What fuels you? Your preferences or your convictions. When you conclude a relationship, when you end it, when you cut it off, when you say it's over, are preferences driving that decision? Or are convictions driving that? Now I thought this would be important to get so close in on this in your life and mine that I step on your toes. See, here's what I found is typical friendship they think, loyalty, thumbs up, that sounds really awesome. In fact, I think it's one of the attributes that all of us love, loyalty. If I said, hey, I got a friend for you, they're going to be loyal to you to the day you die. You're like, oh, yeah. In fact, marriages now go in with questioning, going, I don't know if they're going to be loyal to me. Loyalty is a value commodity by everybody. But we don't always offer it. In fact, the breakdown is when someone does something they shouldn't do. And when someone does something they shouldn't do, I can tell you that loyalty gets put onto the table. Let me say it in the most direct way. If you can't say sorry, you're not loyal. Most of us want loyalty. Most of us do not offer it. And I would tell you the power of loyalty hinges on your responsiveness to an apology. And most friendships that end, end simply because someone won't own what happened. If you can remember back to your your elementary uh, spat, and and they wouldn't say they're sorry, but eventually they did, then they got mended. If you can refer back to maybe your moments in school, or maybe it's at work, or maybe it's as close to as your marriage. I would tell you the power of an apology is something you and I need to pay attention to. If you want loyalty in your life, learn to say you're sorry. Many of us have lost that art, right? When was the last time you heard a leader apologize? See, we don't do it. We're afraid. We're afraid of the liability of an apology. And that's not just in the political realm. That's in our homes. We're afraid of the liability. It means that we did something we should not have done. But I would tell you, if you are going to demand loyalty of others, demand of yourself that you will say you're sorry when you need to say you're sorry. And even on the flip side, if someone does apologize to you and you say, I do not forgive you, you need to know you are not being loyal. It's both sides. And yeah, I know this is all over your toes (laughs) because it's on mine, too. But a good friend, a good friend is a loyal friend, a faithful friend. And loyalty is missing. So maybe uh, you'll do an inventory of yourself. And it's very simple to do this, where you just think what relationship in your life ended because an apology didn't happen. And maybe the Lord will be so good to you to give you an opportunity to go back and say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry. By the way, saying you're sorry does not mean that you're the only guilty party. Can we be grown up enough to have that conversation? But oftentimes we misinterpret or are blind to how we reacted or how we said things. I would say an apology is almost always necessary. Loyalty, it's beautiful in a friendship. Now here's the last one, be attentive. So so far in our conversation about how to be a friend, yeah, be selfless. You're like, sweet. That's re- refrigerator rights. Mikasa, casa, asu casa. Kind of like, hey, anything in my life? You want to borrow my lawnmower? Got it. No problem. And, and there's this whole selfless thing. Yeah, my time, talent, treasure, I'm giving it to you. Got it. And not only that is, is we're going to be faithful. I'm, I'm going to spend time with you. But that's not it. That doesn't culminate to a great relationship, great friendship. You need to be attentive. You need to be aware of what's going on in that person's life. Not just with them. Not just offering them things when they need them. Aware of what's going on. I'll show it to you in the story because David and Jonathan go through this. One day near Harash, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Just, I mean, this is like perfect soap opera content here. Jonathan went to find David. Jonathan went, you may not be reading what's not here. Jonathan, for lack of better words, the prince. Jonathan, the one who doesn't have to do anything. He's royalty. Jonathan, who his father is the problem. Jonathan risks the relationship with his father. Jonathan went to find David. Not like, hey, David's my my good friend. Man, I hope he gets himself out of this. Not... Man, uh, the next time we see each other, I'm going to check in to see how he's doing. No, Jonathan went to find David. If you're like, oh, so we would have like on his phone, you know, did the whole search for a phone. And oh, there's... No, this is not easy work at this era. Jonathan went to find David, encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. You notice Jonathan was aware of what David needed. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel. And I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. See how attentive Jonathan is to David. Now, I was thinking of an example for this. And the best one I can come up with is my wife. She's amazing at this. Being attentive to her friends. i watch her write notes. and And I'm thinking, like... Who are you writing that to? And she was so-and-so, they're just kind of going through this. I'm like, wow, you're the nicest person I've ever met. And to, just to give you a story on how horrible I am at this, uh, I'm sitting there telling my wife about a friend who's made some really awesome decisions lately, and I was just like, I'm so proud of him. And she says, hey, did you tell him about that, that you think that? And I'm like, Why? guys don't do that. He knows I think he's cool. She's like, you should, you should tell him what you just told me. I'm like, well, I'm not going to call him and say all that stuff. I'll text him. And so I texted him the stuff, and he quickly responded, thanks. I needed to hear that. And just like in any normal marriage, I slowly look over to her And tell her, you were right. (laughs) And she, like a good wife, said nothing. (laughs) She's helped me learn how attentive I need to be in the lives of my friend. And I would tell you, you do too. Not to the point of you're just like... Sure, hope they're doing well. And the next time we get together, we might get caught up. Attentiveness and awareness is often intervening in their life, unannounced, unapproved. <laughs> we need better friends like that. Now, some of you are like, "I don't have time to do all this, David." Well, can I just tell you? Either does my wife. <laughs> she's married. Well, she's married to an incredible person, like epically, that awesome there. But um, she's, she's got three kids. Ranging from four to almost 14, and if you've ever had that in your life, you know that takes some time. She, she works full-time, and she's what they call a pastor's wife, which is his own craziness. She, on paper, has no time, but she makes it. Let me tell you, time is not the excuse. If that's what you're coming up with, oh, I wish I had time to be attentive to my friends. You do have the time. You're just not using it. Time is not the excuse. Now, now, if you followed me through the sermon, you've noticed that this relationship, this friendship between David and Jonathan, well, it kinda seems one-sided. Seems like Jonathan is like the good friend and David is just lucky. No. In fact, David does something regarding attentiveness that most of us never do. Jonathan is killed in battle. But David, his best friend, continues to be attentive to his friend who's passed away, which I find very profound. Let me show you what I'm talking about. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan has passed away. And David's like, I still want to be attentive to my friend. So does he have any family members anywhere? Now in that culture, that meant that he was going to find that family member and kill them. So they didn't try to take the throne. So some weren't sure why he was asking. But I can show you, this is pretty cool. If you go all over this story, Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth. Say that 10 times. (laughs) Who was crippled as a child. Here's the story. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled, but as she hurried away, she dropped him and he became crippled. In this society, anyone and everyone did not matter. And in fact, if you were crippled or didn't have something to offer society as they determined, you were ostracized. And so Mephibosheth hid as an outcast. And then his family is no longer in power and he fears for his life. And now the new king's like, are there any other family members? Well, eventually they find Mephibosheth. And they bring him to the king. I'm sure Mephibosheth is thinking, I'm about to die. This is all over. He was crippled and society told him he didn't have value. He was no longer in royalty or a part of that, so he now is going to lose his life. But watch what David does. Don't be afraid. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I'd call that attentive. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul. And you will eat here with me at the king's table. If you don't know the culture behind the king's table, you were only allowed to eat at the king's table if you had something to offer the king. If you were family and maybe would take the throne someday, if you were a mighty warrior, you might be brought in as a special guest, but if you were of the old family and you were crippled, you were never allowed at the table, except when a friend offers a friend attentiveness. There is power if you're willing to be attentive to your friends, if aware of what's going on in their lives. In fact, if you wanna do another assessment, are you aware of the most significant things going on in the lives of your friends? Most of us would like, say, I think so. Well, have you asked? I cannot tell you how many times I've had a conversation with families who simply tell me we didn't know. Friends that are shocked by another friend's action. So let me review, just so we all are clear on what this is. Be selfless, be faithful, Be attentive. In a world and a culture like that we live in, where we constantly focus on what other people are doing, I feel like that's all that the news is nowadays, what someone else is doing. Let's be mature enough to not get caught up in the undercurrent of that kind of culture. Let's be a people that says, am I being the friend I should be? Am I being the person that I demand of others? And if you don't know this about what I've shared with you, selfless, faithful, attentive, sounds to me a lot like Jesus. Jesus, who probably in the most epic, perfect ways was selfless. God coming to earth for us, and showed faithfulness in the most incredible of ways. Attentive to our greatest need of salvation, but not even stopping there, where he would heal people and have great conversations. Jesus has offered to you and I the same thing that we're supposed to offer to others. In the Bible, it talks about, if you're a Christian, you and I are called to be Christ-like, be like Jesus. And so I would charge you and call you our world does not need more posts and social media stuff and more blanket criticisms. Our world needs more people being willing to be friends to anyone and everyone. So I would call on you to be that person that you demand. Be that person that our world needs. The best friend you could ever be. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for letting us gather like this. Thank you for the privileges of getting to know you. But Lord, I right now ask that you help each one of us peel away the layers in our own souls and get to the heart of how good of a friend we are. God, help us to not be blind to it. Please, God, give us discernment and wisdom to know the deficiencies in our own lives. And I pray for the individuals who are lonely and isolated, please lay upon their hearts that you are with them and that you walk with them. God, I also pray that you'll help us be a church, a group of people who behave what we believe. Help us to love anyone and everyone at all times. We accept the opportunities that you give us each day to love people. Thank you for those. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.